What's up, everybody? I'm Scott Prather. Coming at you. We are in the month of June. Summer is here. Still early in the NBA playoffs because the NBA calendar is a little later than normal. We got NCAA baseball regionals getting underway. Women's College World Series is this week. And, uh, you know, Major League Baseball is going on. Jacob DeGrom's just performing like uh, an absolute freak in a good way. Fans are misbehaving. Here we are. Summertime. Got a great show for you this morning, everybody. Brad Topham's going to join me around 7.15-ish, 7.20-ish to talk, kind of, you know, LSU and the Eugene Regional, Paul Maneri, what are the chances? What are the odds? Can they get a W? Can they beat Gonzaga this Friday? Can they advance? They weren't one of the last four in. Was that a surprise? We'll talk Cajun baseball. Their season officially ended on Saturday. A lot of chatter about that. Also in the 8 o'clock hour, Jay Walker will join me. We'll talk some of it there as well. Rage Cajun softball coach Jerry Glasgow wasn't able to join me last week. He will join me this morning at 740 to uh, kind of have a season in review discussion. NBA playoffs going on. And, you know, I, I, I've i enjoyed some of the games. I've enjoyed some of the series. It seems like all the chatter, all the talk right now is about some fan behavior. Um, let me just, let me just be very clear. Let me put it out there and succinctly say, I guess what should be understood, but I'll make sure I say it up front. So no one gets any confusion here. Fans should not physically interact with players, whether it be running on the court, touching them, throwing something, you know what? Boo, yell, scream, no slurs. Make a sign, express yourself, but don't throw, don't spit, don't go after someone's family. That's all messed up. It's all messed up. And I guess after a number of things happening, whether it be, you know, some jazz fans, just that, that's really messed up going after John Moran's family. Like get, get out of here. Like get, get the, get out of here. Or uh, dumping popcorn on Westbrook as he's leaving injured. It was messed up. Ban the fans. Get rid of them. And then in Boston, it sort of reached a fervor when Kyrie Irving looked around, saw, you know, okay, Celtics players are off the court. Let me kind of stomp on this logo a little bit. And then a fan threw a water bottle at him. Don't do it. Don't throw the bottle. Don't do it. Just to be clear, don't do it. It seems as though Simply pointing out, you know, when a player steps on a logo, it's going to tick people off. That you're that, like anyone that just points that out, Garnett or something. Like, no, you can't. There's no excuse for the fan. No, I'm not making an excuse for the fan throwing the bottle. They shouldn't have thrown it. But don't act like fans aren't going to be upset about it. And Kyrie, he did it for a reason. And look, it may be silly when you do something to a team's logo. We're talking about fans here of teams. I mean. Fans root for laundry. That's what that's that's at its core what it is. And if someone's never been a fan or a writer or a journalist, someone's never actually been a real fan, they wouldn't understand it. But it's just the way it is. It might be ridiculous, but it's true. Players wearing that certain kind of laundry, you're going to root for them. Whether it be your college, whether it be your pro teams, whatever it might be. 
I mean, he knew it was gonna. It, there was gonna be a reaction. He probably did, thinking he was gonna throw something at him, and that was messed up. But like, think back to like back when T.O. was on the Niners and Terrell Owens ran and like got in the star in the middle of the field, and Emmett Smith like ran him. You know, where was an Emmett? Emmett later on scored and like ran and like put the ball in the star. Like guys going back and forth and knocking T.O. down. Like I, I, I. You don't just. Do something like that and 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 then have everyone be like, it doesn't matter, who cares? It's just a logo. It's, it, it, fans are going to care about it. They shouldn't throw anything, but they're going to care about it. In in this fan behavior, look, it's I don't know if it's just they're extra crazy because they've been cooped up for a year plus or what. Don't do that. Don't do it. Just don't don't be like those fans. But. Simply pointing out the logo thing immediately gets met with, there's no excuse. I'm not saying there is. I mean, can we have two different discussions here? Someone someone emailed me yesterday, a listener. Jack says, with all these recent fan interactions, do you think leagues will start banning alcohol from stadiums? Uh, absolutely not. No, Jack. The answer is no. There is far too much money involved. Is liquid courage uh, probably involved in a lot of these things? 100%. I mean, they cut it. They they cut off alcohol sales late in games and things like that, right? You've been to Superdome, Saints game, like late toward the end of the third quarter. Last call for the alcohol. They're up and down. It, they will never. Sponsorships, relationships, all of that, that, that that's that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But the series themselves, I mean, they, they've been fun. Wizards beat the Sixers, so Philly doesn't get the sweep. Looks like the only sweep are the Bucks. Shout out Drew Holiday. Bucks just dominating the Miami Heat. First game was close in the series, and after that, just plunk. But, I mean, I... Philly, Washington last night. How about the the Washington gets a win? They didn't just roll over. How about the, just fouling Ben Simmons late in the fourth? Like, okay, Ben Simmons gave a new meaning to two for one. If you don't think that's going to come back up later in the playoffs, Ben Simmons is the best player ever that just can't shoot. He can do everything else at like an all NBA type level except shoot a basketball. It's the darndest thing. Really is wild. Brooklyn looks to close it out tomorrow, uh, excuse me, tonight against Boston at 6.30. That game in Brooklyn. The Nuggets and the Blazers tied at two games to two. We'll play tonight as well, as will the Lakers and the Suns tied two games to two. And Anthony Davis looks like he's not going to be playing with the groin injury Chris Paul fighting through an injury. He's not backing down. That series is tied 2-2. Two to two. The game is in Phoenix. This should be a fun one tonight. Should be a fun one. Late game, 9 o'clock. These games are too late, man. I know I'm sounding like the old dad. I guess that's where I'm at in my life now. I was watching Utah-Memphis. It was a good game. Like Four minutes left in the fourth quarter, three-point game, and I just I couldn't keep my eyes open. I couldn't do it. Didn't find out who won until I woke up. I tried. I tried. ESPN 1420.com. Brad Topham's going to be coming in shortly. 
And I believe we got a guest in here that should be here soon. Give me one second. It's always good when you're doing things on the fly here. ESPN 1420.com. Got to seize the deal coming up. We're going to talk about here for a second. Then we'll talk some college baseball. We'll have open phone lines a little later in the show. Revisit some of this NBA playoff chatter. But coming up soon, we got a, uh, a seize the deal. Come on in. Come on. Live radio here. Oh, man. ESPN1420.com. Hope everyone had a good Memorial Day. Got a guest in here for a second. Miguel is with us from Carabas Italian Grill. Y'all got a seize the deal coming up. I, I, right out the gate is somebody that has like young kids. Here's here's something that's underrated about Carabas. Number one, the food's delicious, but the packages y'all have that are like the the family packages for like forty or fifty bucks, where you're like, oh, this will feed four. I find that it feeds like seven. But, yeah, like, the all bones. the, like, chicken parm and, like, the extra salad and pasta you get with it. We've gotten that a number of times and, like, had gotten, like, two meals out of it. But it's awesome. Like, that's something that I don't know how many folks do it, but we do that often. I, I really like Carabas. Yeah, it's a very popular item. The family bundles will get us going. Uh, feeds four to six people. And, like you said, you got seconds, leftovers, sometimes seven. Uh, big portions. It's generous. Yeah, that's, it's like you guys do it right. You do the generous portions. Y'all got to seize the deal coming up, right? Yeah, it's going on Friday, uh, six in the morning. You uh, pay twelve fifty and get a voucher for twenty five dollars, and that's an instant voucher, which means it's on your phone. You're not waiting in the mail. You're not waiting for anything to print out. It's there. You got it on the phone. Uh, you can get it, and this Friday, seizethedeal.com, dot com. Carabas. I don't know, man. I love the calamari apps. I love the salads. The lobster ravioli is good. Like, wh- what's your favorite item on the menu? Uh, my go-to is the chicken brine. So what is that? It's an eight-ounce wood-fire grilled chicken breast, topped with goat cheese, lemon butter, sun-dried tomatoes, and basil. A very good dish. Put that with a side of garlic, garlic mashed potatoes, and uh, we can pair it up with the wine for you also. That's what my wife always gets. There she gets go. the chicken brine. Yeah. yeah. And she's, she's more health. I'm, I, I try to be health conscious too, but like she's like, you get good flavor, but also don't feel bad about what I'm eating, you know? You get it all. Yeah, it's not too bad on the calorie count. I mean, you got chicken breast, which is a lean meat. Uh, the lemon butter and goat cheese, it's, that's a little gray area, but uh, it's worth the taste for sure. Oh, no doubt. Uh, that is Carabas Italian Grill. Seize the deal coming up this Friday morning. Get up 6 a.m. until they're sold out. Uh, you spend twelve fifty, you get 25 It's there on your phone. So you're basically paying half to get a gift card right there to a delicious restaurant right here in Lafayette. Carabas over there on Cali Saloon. Uh, Miguel, thanks for stopping by, man. I will. I have bought some of these in the past, so I'll be buying one this Friday. Thank you all for having me. Much appreciated. You got it. That is Miguel. We'll come back. Brad Topham will join me. LSU heading to Eugene. Will Maneri get one more win before he hangs it up, officially retiring when the season ends for them? We'll take a look back at UL's baseball season as well. Don't go anywhere. It's the Great Scott Show. It's ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app.
Welcome back into the great Scott show, the great sports callers open think tank. Let me introduce Brad Topham, host of Top's Take, another season in the books of doing color commentary for Raging Cajun Baseball. Brad, in terms of being a color analyst with Jay Walker, and I've had to do it a few times, not as many as you, a few times over the years, though I've hosted a show with him quite a few times. Um, what, what's something he does in the press box that, uh, that the listener wouldn't know about? Let's spill some beans here. Let's hear a secret. Uh, that would be no response or look at you when I make a stupid movie reference. He's not <laughs> he's just non-responsive because he has no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah, you know, I know the look. Sometimes I'll do it when we're, when we're doing a show together, and he's just like, yeah, okay. Didn't see well, that one, did you? you? He's you, like, nope. <laughs> yeah, they're like, well, you appreciate it. I, I do it to him on purpose, and I know whether it irritates him or not, or he just doesn't care, I don't know. But, like, the last game they had a dude coming up to bat against a app. His name was Cole Coffee, and I couldn't resist. I said, Jay, I think he's got a cousin played on the tropics named Coffee Black. Nice. Your boy didn't flinch. I said, tropics, let's get tropical. Will Ferrell. Jackie Moon. And I kept going. And I wouldn't stop. I said, nothing. He wouldn't even look at me. He goes, no. Just out the side of his eye. No. Here comes the 2-2 pitch. Fouled away. Yeah. Nothing. I get nothing. So, yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. He'll reference songs. And I'm like, is that a song title? Is that, should I know what decade was that in? So, for all my stupid movie references, he'll do a song reference. And I am just. I'm lost. I have no idea on that. ESPN1420.com. Um, that right there, quote, I'm lost. I have no idea on that, end quote. Um, I don't know if it was those exact words, but you you got that sense from some fans uh, in, during Saturday's uh, season-ending game and lost to Georgia Southern uh, a couple of moves late, whether it be on the base path, what have you. Um, what, what, was there anything that, that unfolded that was, I guess, on the negative side of things that surprised you or you couldn't really figure out what, what happened? If that, if that question makes sense. Yeah. Um, I guess I expected a little more fight and it's so hard to say you expect more fight because it makes it sound like they're not trying. It wasn't that. And again, it's just something you see. It's not so. It's a kind of a fan thing, but I just felt like there wasn't enough fight that I am going to hit this curveball, and, and that's all it was. You had a guy who was a hard thrower who found a curveball that was disgusting, and it was good. And I didn't see. I didn't see that. I just didn't see that that bite. And you know, Deg said something that was perfect. And I've, this is every year, Scott. If you pay attention to baseball, and it's like that in every sport, when a good team gets knocked out of a playoff game, you can go back to week one, week three, week eight, week whatever, and the theme of the mistakes that you didn't fix seem to always come up in the last inning. Didn't execute a bunt. Did not um, drive in a run with one, from third base in the first inning with one out. Did not – and then, you know, the strikeouts, the – so it's just every little thing you did wrong offensively all year that was a theme came up in the game you lost. And that's the disappointing part. You know, the, um, and it sounds so dumb, Scott, but it's, it's not like there wasn't enough of a sense of urgency at the plate. That's all. 
ESPN1420.com. I mean, that, that guy, that guy um, Jackson, you know, seven innings just went to work. But then late in the game, you're sitting there. I guess, I guess you had four hits when you're going into, what, the 11th? And, yep. You know, the opponent has had 12. You have less errors. You feel like you, you got a chance, even though you hadn't got the bats going. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think for a lot of folks, it was it was in the bottom of the ninth there. When you had what runners on the corners, no, it just it, you, you felt like this is where they're going to get it done, and uh, whether it be someone not running home when folks felt like they should have, or not laying down a bunt, was some of a communication issue at the end of the day. Well, first off, and this is what's funny, you know, we always point out when someone, I point out, Jay points out, man, you know how that inning start. Well, the the winning run score, how to get on, lead off walk, and we always point it out. Scott, we face the national closer of the year. That's not an exaggeration. He was 18 for 18 in saves. Second in the United States was 13 saves. He's a semifinalist for the Dick Hauser, which is the best player in college baseball, period. And that's he hit a player. And he hit a player for he, the first time all season. That's what I'm saying. So things did break our way. Brennan Bro hit a routine 17-hop ground ball. But because the guy was playing over and the last hop was high, if the last hop is low, his glove can reach further. He catches the ball. The last hop was high, tips his glove. You know, so you got the hit batter. Then you, so you hit first and third. We hit, our, we hit a rocket to third base. And it's, the guy lays out, catches it, gets up, and throws us out by five feet. The ball comes out of his glove. I can't tell you the last time I saw a dead out at the plate where the ball came out. A dead out. Ball in his glove, the tag dropped. Not trying to catch it to tag. The tag itself dropped. And you know, Scott, this is what happened. His own mask came off his head and hit his hand. You never see that in life, ever. So all these things went our way. And then you can't get a butt down. And then you pop up to third base. And, you know, it just, it never fails. And even in the ninth, so I want to be clear on something, those that don't know, I was upset postgame, I'm still losing my stuff while I was two outs and a runner at second and a ground ball to first. We didn't wave the runner. Right. You know, Bobby Lede is on second. I'm right. losing my mind on that. I heard Mac Deggs in the Zoom. Whether you like his answer or not, it's a legitimate answer, and I believe it's true. He said, I thought Rockefeller was going to beat the throw out. And if you look at it, it was going to be bang-bang. He would have been out, but it would have been bang-bang. I didn't want to, and if you think about it, well, if he's safe and the pitcher catches the ball, he's going to turn and throw the ball to home plate once he realizes we're going, and we were going to be out by 30 feet. And that's how your season was going to end. And Matt's own statement was, I didn't want to do that because he thought he was going to be safe. And that's why we didn't send him. So I'm taking Matt, I'm, I don't find Matt Deggs to be a liar or a coward. I take him at his word that that's what happened. Now, he did say there were some missed signals. Did we try and pull a first and third right there? Because if you think about it, they would have been in a bind. If we'd have pulled a first and third, do you allow the time run to score? Or do you try and throw the, uh, the game-winning run out at second? They'd have had a decision to make, and I'm not sure what they'd have done. But he did say after the game that there were some missed signals. And it's just, um, no, it's missed opportunities, Scott. <laughs> I hate, I- I'll tell you this. Have you ever broken down a team and somebody, some player jumped out at you for some random reason, and all of a sudden that player became a big story? You know what I mean? I, I don't know. Uh, oh, well, more context. there was one guy in their lineup. I could not figure out why he was hitting eighth and ninth named Parker Beatier. He's hitting 340. But I said, okay, 
my first thought was the top of the order is loaded. He's not a run producer. He's a get-on-base guy. If you put him at the top of the order, then you got to back all those guys down, and it's a whole, you know, probably not a good idea. So I texted their guy, their radio guy. He said, yeah, they want a double leadoff, like that guy hitting last to be leadoff. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Well, he goes four for five with all three RBIs. Mm-hmm. Jay Walker has a conversation with, and Jay will tell you about this, with Matt Deggs off the air after his uh, pregame interview. Deggs said an average team has 130 to 140 two-out RBIs. Or 120, 130, excuse me. Like he goes, we have 80-something. You know, Georgia Southern has over 100. What happened? You didn't get a run in in the first inning from, from third base. You've got, you know, runners on base at the end of the game. The season ended on a third man at third chance for two-out RBIs. You didn't get – you got clutch hits to set up the big moment. You didn't get the big moment, if that makes sense. I don't want to say they weren't clutch hits. They were to get there. Bobby had a two-out double. But I don't know. It just felt like there needs to be some more nasty on this team, and we don't have it. ESPN 1420.com. Coach Deggs very clear afterwards. Uh, no moral victories. Um, upset. I mean, look, it's it's hard anytime your season ends, and it's hard when you feel like – you were given that gift to begin the ninth, and you weren't able to just seal it and get it done and uh, and close it out. And unfortunately, uh, it came to an end. And then Georgia Southern faced South Al, and South Al, uh, they're good this year. I mean, I know that they had some weird series where it's like, how did they lose that, or how did they turn it, or whatever. But you know, they were the one seed. They had the best record, and uh, they came out. And I, I would have loved to have seen a matchup on Sunday, seen how far Cook could have gone, and. And all of that, but it, it wasn't meant. It wasn't. It wasn't to be. Cajuns lose. Their season's over. Uh, I know they're disappointed. And you know, looking at the off season, Brad. Before I ask you about LSU and, and, and the Eugene Regional, looking at the Cajun off season, I mean, what where does this team have to improve the most? What area do they have to address the most? Well, they've got to address the um, the lack of clutch on offense, and that you. I heard Dex. Listen, I heard Dex say it to you. I've put this together over the year when Dex tells you on one interview that, hey, we, uh, we butt. We, I mean, we, uh, we steal whenever we want. Green light. And then he talks about another interview, talked about the mentality doesn't occur overnight. It takes two to three years. Don't forget that 14-year team was on year three of the mentality. I think that's what we're missing. You, it, we want overnight success because we know we have great coaches. But you're missing that mentality for Matt Deggs' offense to be successful, if that makes sense. Some teams you need speed to make uh, – some teams you need a bunch of contact. But for Matt Deggs' offense to make work, you need the mentality. You can recruit it, but you got to coach it, and you got to build it, and you got to have the culture. And you know what? Failing the way they did, he'll be able to put his finger on this next year with everybody, and then new players can look at the returning players and go, yeah, this, yeah, like agree with it. And it can help build, but – you got to get better at the plate in the clutch situation, and you just weren't. You just didn't have that. And I know it's not fair to always talk about Jace Conrad's or the Nathan Nelsons before him, but you got to have that guy, that dude, that that dude that holds people accountable. That's not the coach. ESPN fourteen twenty and Drake Osborne, uh, one season with the Cajuns, a heck of a season. But uh, you know you're going to be losing a few guys, and then from a pitching standpoint, <clears throat> you know you got some. Draft eligible players. Uh, Connor Cook's the one that that comes to mind first for a lot of fans. What do you think he's going to do? I think he's going. I, I, I have this argument with people that don't catch what I'm saying. I keep telling people Connor Cook's got more leverage than anybody 
because he's got two more years, which means they're going to have to overpay him. That's why I think he's gone. And to understand, if I have one more year after this year, I have leverage to come back. But I also know that when I come back, I'm going to sign for a thousand bucks because they own me because I'll be a senior. Connor Cook knows he has two more years, meaning if you want me, there's no downside for me. I go back for another year. You're going to really have to pay. So I think Cook's, um, I, I think Cook's gone. Um, I think Jacob uh, Schultz, who has his degree, is going to go. Uh, I'm not so sure on Spencer Arrieta. I think he's got another year in him. But those three guys are some of your th- three of your better arms. Um, I know Brandon Talley is going to be back. I don't think the draft is going to get him. But I'm worried about Tyler Robinson. The minute that cat played third base the way he did, I think his, his value skyrocketed. So we'll have to see. But there's also going to be a lot of guys gone that are on this roster that could be back that will not be. Well, last year there were a number of players that, that entered the transfer portal. I guess it sounds like you're expecting something like that again. Oh, yeah. I'm expecting at least half the team to be gone, minimum. That, again, some of them are going to be transferred out. And, Scott, this is fair. Look, if, if Callaway becomes a great tennis player and he gets to college and they put him in doubles only and he wants to play singles and he's getting towards the end of his career, academically, if there's no issues transferring, you're probably going to support him to transfer so he can chase his dream the way he wants. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So if Matt Deggs views you as a, uh, you know, a, a backup defensive player, if Matt Deggs views you as a one-inning closer, or I'll give you the example, Blake Marshall, pretty much used him as a set, just a left-handed specialist. Well, I don't want to be a left-handed specialist. I want to be a closer or a starter. doesn't mean he's right, but why, how, we can't fault him for going for it, and I think you're going to see that. And I think that's what the transfer, transfer portal is going to do. It's going to allow them to go out and find the role that they want to fill, if that makes sense. ESPN 1420.com. Number of seniors uh, finished up there careers on uh, on Saturday as well you know this team they in terms of awareness base running like you said that mentality of just once you get to you know year um you know two or three under this system is when you know it's got to be clicking man it's got to be clicking uh they've got some work to do I know the coaching staff knows that as well all right Brad I've kept you for a while man I know we got to let you run soon uh let's shift gears quickly LSU Heading to the Eugene Regional, uh, taking on Gonzaga on uh, on Friday night. Paul Maneri announced last week he'd be retiring at the end of the season. I really, I know some some folks didn't weren't weren't sure if they were going to get in to the tourney. I really didn't have a doubt. I felt like they were definitely in. Turns out they weren't even one of the last four in, so they were in. But give us a, a rundown of your thoughts on. Uh, LSU in the Eugene Regional, and the, the the chances the Tigers can actually do something out west, or you know, do we see Paul Maneri's career in Saturday or Sunday or possibly next week? Well, first of all, anybody doesn't think Paul Maneri is a genius needs to take a quick look at this. Oh, they weren't even one of the last four in. Man, please, they just put that on there. Paul LSU, there's an easy argument I can and I can name some teams that are better and deserve to be there over LSU. But when a guy who's been a class guy all year throws it out there that I'm done after this. They, well, were, they, were, they were getting them in. They were getting them in. They were getting them in. But they reward him with giving him the number 27 RPI team in Gonzaga, who is a very good baseball team. And 
you know, you, obviously you know who Gonzaga is based from basketball. Gonzaga for a few, quite a few years now, put it this way, Gonzaga is on the path that Liberty jumped into in all sports. You notice how Liberty got in that large. They're relevant in all sports now. This is Gonzaga's second sport. They're becoming relevant. Look, they had a former number one pick who's the uh, lead lefty for the White Sox, Marco Gonzalez. They have talent, and it's a different brand of baseball. And guess what? They're going up into their neck of the woods to play that baseball. Here's the catch. LSU's going to throw Landon Marceau out there. Landon Marceau, Scott, is as good as anybody in college baseball, period. Problem is, in the first game of the SEC tournament, he had a rough two outs, gave up four runs, won them on a basis clear double, and they don't score again. Problem is, LSU doesn't score yet. So they're going to go as far as Landon Marceau can get them in the first round. And then, I mean, I would say LSU gets the regional final and loses, if, if we're being fair. You know, Gonzaga's got a good arm in, uh, in Alec Jacob. I think this is their eighth appearance, but it's hard not to, you know, a pulmonary farewell tour. I mean, folks immediately point back to 2019, the last time we had, you know, a real full season and this unlikely Florida State team and Mike Martin Sr. and getting to Omaha. And he now you've got the guy, most active, most wins among active coaches. Here you go again. It's farewell tour. Can they make some magic happen? But you said doing him a favor. Why, why were why were fans upset? Is it was just a, because travel? Like they just wish they could go, and it's it's pretty hard to get to Eugene on short notice unless you got some money. Oh no, I meant they didn't do him a favor by by where they put him. That regional is legit. Oregon is a good baseball team. Gonzaga is a really good baseball team. That, that's what I mean by they didn't do him any favors. Like oh they oh they trying to protect him. No 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 no. Central, you know, or I'm just telling you, Oregon's good. And it's, again, it is a different brand of baseball. And by the way, who knows, depending on what time their games play out, it's a two-hour time difference. It is a completely different body clock. And, uh, look, they're good. Now, did they play anybody outside of conference? UC Santa Barbara that they swept, that's about it. Everybody else out of conference is average at best. So there's no real measuring stick as far as that goes. But – I mean, look, they're good, Scott. They're really good. And their conference, I mean, they, they, they put guys in the regional, right? So, well, on Friday night, and I'm assuming that's the same arm, on Friday night, they beat Stanford 2-1. to one. On the Fridays, they beat Utah, Washington. In fact, uh, UCLA is hosting. They, beat UC, they took two out of three from UCLA, including the Wednesday, Oregon State. I mean, if you go down the list, the only Friday game they lost were the two Arizona schools. One of them's a top eight, and the other one they lost three to one way back in March. So Brad, my point is they're good. Brad Topham has been our guest, host of Top's Take Catching the Day at Two, owner of the Jambalaya Shop on the corner of Ambassador Caffrey and uh, West Congress. Go check out the great menu there, all the great stuff they're serving up. Brad, appreciate the time as always, man. It was great listening to you and Jay all season, and I'll be talking to you soon. Hey, man, before we go, and I know you do this all the time with Luke Johnson, your respect for the military, much respect to all the what yesterday meant to so many people and how much we all appreciate the military in this country. Amen. Amen. That's what yesterday all right, was all about. Thanks, Brad. Appreciate it. All right. Later. Brad Topham, good stuff there. We'll take a quick time out. Be right back. Rage Occasion softball coach Jerry Glasgow joins me right after this.
Welcome back into the Great Scott Show, the Great Sports Callers Open Think Tank. We are in the month of June. Women's College World Series um, beginning this week in Oklahoma City. And I know uh, a man and a team whose goal is to get back there, Louisiana's Raging Cajuns. Their season uh, came to an end eight days ago in uh, a competitive final in Baton Rouge. Head coach of Louisiana Rage Cajun Softball joins us now, Coach Jerry Glasgow. Jerry, uh, first off, good morning. How are you? Uh, good morning. I'm doing good. So now now that you've had, I guess, uh, a little over a week to process uh, the season coming to an end, do you feel any different than you did eight eight days ago, you know, or do you kind of feel the same way throughout the offseason when a season ends and you come up short of a goal? No, it's a it's a migration, you know. As you, your thoughts, you know, when season ends, you're frustrated and you're disappointed and you're a lot of different things. You know, it's, it's a bitter ending always when you start working in September and you know you practice all year and then it ends. And so I'm I'm always, you know, angry, frustrated, disappointed. All those things, and then as time moves forward, you you move away from those the strongest of those thoughts, and and kind of start to realize that that's just a process. You know, there's there's right now there's eight teams left out of 290, so you you got to learn to deal with that as part of the, the process. Eliminate your you know your team and other teams, and of course you don't want to be one of the ones eliminated ever. So you, you you tend to think more logically, I think, after time goes on. How, how do you spend the week after a season ends and it ends you know, earlier than you'd hoped? Is there something you can do work-wise to kind of throw yourself into it, or do you have to kind of get away maybe from it all? I know you have exit interviews and whatnot, but after that, what do, what do you start to do as the offseason begins? Well, the the week after season is actually probably the busiest week of the year, and because you have all your players wanting to go home, uh, you know they want to get home as quick as they can normally, and so before they leave, you do extra interviews where you talk about the season, talk about next year, make sure you know players plan on coming back, um, talk about what you know you feel like they did well, what what you think they need to spend their off season working on what we want to develop next year, kind of get a thought in, you know, thoughts in about individual performance and team performance and things that we can do. And then, you know, you begin, there's just a whole lot of things that you put off while season's going on. You just put things off, you know, you, you dentist, you know, your personal dentist appointments and doctor appointments and all those kinds of things you, you be, you, you immediately start catching that up because now we start recruiting in a week. The day after the World Series, we'll be on the road recruiting. So you've got about a narrow window there of about two weeks where you shift from being bogged down from coaching to, you know, getting everything done and caught up and and get ready to go back out on the road now for the next 60 days recruiting. Um, so, like for me, mowing the yard or, or spraying the fence lines and, uh, you know, getting getting the house ready, uh, fixing fixing things that's been put off around the house, 
Uh, I one of my I had a I had a toilet leaking, so I had to fix that today. After I thought that was, you know, you go, <laughs> you that's kind of your punishment. You look for things. So anyway, just getting caught back up around the house. Gotcha. And and then this it's been a, and then I watch every the super regional. I try to watch every game. I think it's like a punishment. You know, if you if you're not playing, you should have to be watching. <laughs> so I, I think I like punishing myself. Like, nope, you get in there and watch it. You didn't. You, you need to if you if you're not gonna play in it, you need to have to watch and see, you know, what they're doing and 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 study their teams. And so I, I watch I watch about every single inning of every game. ESPN fourteen twenty with with a little more reflection now and exit interviews done. What uh what do you look back at of this season? What are you most proud of? Uh, you know, I'm proud of the seniors that that came back and tried to, you know, get us further. I think that takes enormous commitment to the program, and you know, they they entered unknown territory. You know, when they come back for that sixth year, none of us had experience in that. I'd never coached kids that had played that long, and and I think that it took a lot of commitment from. You know, Summer and Alyssa and Julie and Caitlin uh, to come and play that extra year when they could have just went on with their lives, you know. And and we didn't get as far as we wanted to go, but the effort and uh, just to accept that opportunity to come back and represent your school one last time, I think really proud of that and really, you know, you realize how special that effort was for them kids to choose to do that. Head coach Jerry Glasgow of Louisiana Raging Cajun Softball, our guest, ESPN 1420. Um, exit interviews, coach, did you learn? I mean, do you expect to have uh, the most of your roster back, or are there going to be changes outside of just the seniors that are obviously moving on to the next stage of their life? Well, you know, the exit interviews, you have some kids that you have to come to reality with them that, you know, where you feel like, they fell short on as far as, you know, we had, we had academic casualties. Um, you know, kids just didn't do the things that we asked them to do in the classroom. And, 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 you know, we, at the exit interview, you talk about that, you know, like, and you, you, you have the reality that, you know, you, you, you know, you're not welcome back here. If you can't give us meal, if you can't give our prayer here in the classroom, and that if you can't, if you can't go to class every day, you're here to be a student athlete. And if you can't do that, then you're not welcome in our program. And I'm not going to name names, but we, you know, we lost kids to. We did have a, a you know, you know, every year I think you have one or two kids that they just go to college and they really don't want to go to college. They want to be there, but they don't want to go to college and so that was a factor in our ex interviews this year and you have you know playing time some kids want more playing time than they got this year and you look at the roster and you realize like it's probably not going to happen so rather than those kids come back and knowing that they're going to be frustrated next year you know you, you you allow them to go on and and try to find a place that fits their talent better um 
So, but our roster, you know, the key players, yeah, everybody, you know, the the key key players of our roster will, uh, as far as you know, I, every everybody's coming back that that we had to have come back, and of course, this was an unusual year where you had also we we had some kids graduated. You know, they finished their commitment to the university, they finished their their classes, and they've got their degree, they've got their BS degree. And and now next year the NCA doesn't allow us. They don't they don't allow us to give them that scholarship above and beyond your twelve scholarship limit. And and we had some kids graduated. Mm-hmm. And and we've already got kids coming in in the fall. We got freshmen coming in the fall. Um, I think eleven freshmen that were coming in to replace those kids. So it makes no sense for that kid to come back and pay for education here at our school out of their own pocket with their replacement already on campus on a roster. And so we lost a couple of kids at, to graduation, which is normal, and and really good kids too, by the way, like exceptional student athletes. And, and I don't know, you know, they're, they're not decided at this point if they want to go play ball one more year somewhere else or just – go on to work and start making a living. So that that's a choice I'll make, but they won't be back at our program in the fall unless unless something changes. And those are kids that, you know, they call you and say, hey, I, I really thought about it for a month. You know, they may call me July 15th and say, I want to come back. Well, these are really good kids. And if they do want to come back, we'll try to, we'll try to work that out. But the plan at this point isn't for them to come back. So we're – you know what? I'm excited. We we got 27 kids on our roster next year, and that's that's enough. We don't we don't want any more than that. And that's you get when you get up around 30. It's, you just you just neglect certain needs of certain athletes because you just simply don't have enough time and space. Uh, you know we only have 20 26 lockers, and so you hate to you know you don't want to have five six kids that don't have a locker. So. Our program really designed to run around 25, 26 kids, and and we'll start to fall right above that 26, 27, and then you know by the end of the year I'd expect the attrition of a normal school year would be somewhere in that 22 to 24 range. So I think our roster's in great shape. It's you know the COVID has caused everybody's roster to be a little bit bigger than you than you planned on it to be, but. Uh, Everything seems to be in good shape. Jerry Glasgow, our guest, ESPN 1420. What What is uh, one more aspect of this offseason, Jerry, that um, you you feel like you have to tackle between now and the start of next season, uh, whether it be, you know, in the staff, whether it be on the diamond, whether it be a, a certain aspect to the team that you felt like had it been a little better this year, you guys could still be playing? Like what is at the top of your list this offseason – between now and, and and next February, that you feel like this is number one on the checklist. I gotta check this off. Uh, well, I just want to be better in every area. I think you know, I uh, in one of Kevin Foot's articles, you know, he said I thought the pitching would be better next year, and I may have said that. I, I, I hope our pitching is as good or better. I think that's the way I would mean to say that because. Man, you you got Summer Ellison leaving one ninety nine games, and mm-hmm. you know when I read it, I flinched a little bit because 
and I may have I may have actually been what I said because as a coach, you always you want your hitting to be better, you want your base running to be better, you want your pitching to be better. But then when you you look logically and realistically, <laughs> Summer Ellison was a miracle for me as a coach over these last four years. And when you lose a player like her, you lose a, a huge huge void. But on the other side, you know I do think Kendra Lamb. She, there's no reason not to logically think she can come back and be better than she was this year. We've got a, a really good freshman coming in um, in Sam Landry, and then we've got two more freshmen coming in that are very, very talented pitchers. And a lot of times, you know, most of the time, I would say this, most of the time when you bring in three freshmen, four freshman pitchers or four freshman shortstops, you, when they get to campus, there's times when one's better than the other and you never know how it's going to turn out. So I think logically we have hope that our pitching can maintain the level we're at and then over time even improve but just due to depth and having more more people. We've got a good transfer coming in that's had success in the SEC and, and pitched against you know some really good teams and, and always had a good record. And we expect her to compete for the for the number one spot. So we got some things with our pitching staff that we hope and that we can, you know, be better and improve our pitching. But we've got a huge, we just had a huge loss there with Summer Ellison, and and we got a that's a that's a I guess my number one concern. Offensively, man, we lost a lot too. You know, you go down the lineup. We lost a lot of offense with Rawls and Dalton and Bryant and Mills. But but right off the bat, you know, we had Rain O'Neill and, and Taylor Romans on the sideline this year and those are two great hitters. So those take two of those six spots that you lost and and in defense we lost the whole starting infield. So we've got a lot of exciting young players coming in that we believe we can fill the boys on our infield. We got Mayu who played a great shortstop for us for 16 games while Alyssa was hurt. You know, we hope we can maintain or even, you know, over the next couple of years improve that defense. But uh, as a coach, you you never accept – you don't want to ever accept, well, we're not going to be as good at this or we're not going to be as good at that. That won't get you very far in life. You start start planning how we can become – as good, and then how can we become better? And when you lose an enormous senior class with a lot of talent, you 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 realize you're going to have to eat your Wheaties and get up early every morning to do that. But the the talent that we have coming in through that this freshman class is really exciting to us, and we've waited four years to get here. Uh, you know, it was as soon as I got the job in twenty and early months of twenty nineteen. Now, 2017 and early 2018, so, you know, four years ago, this is what we were working on, getting all this group of kids committed, and now they're finally here. So I want to, you know, I'm I'm very sad, and, you know, to lose the, the great seniors that we lost and the kids that played here for these last four years, but I'm also very excited about this particular group of athletes and, and then the, the ability to be able to develop kids over a four-year period you know, we've been able to do that a little bit with Kendra Lamb. You see the development in Kendra over a three-year period, and I'm really proud of that. And and Taylor Roman, you know, we didn't get to see it in season because she went down by injury pretty early. But if you watch fall practice, just that year-to-year development, 
from her first year to her second year was really amazing to watch. And and then next year, of course, we'll have like Sophie Piscos will be a, a sophomore next year, and we're going to see the development of her over this 18- to 20-month period as we go into season. And all those things are things that I'm extremely excited about. And I think the future of our program is 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 really really solid. ESPN fourteen twenty, good stuff, Jerry. This is my final question. Uh, you talk about the freshman class and uh, the de- the development and the excitement surrounding that. Um, you did mention earlier uh, transfer. I know uh, Megan Scorman had announced on social media she'd be transferring to USC. She entered the transfer portal back in February when, when it comes to the transfer portal I guess it's a it, it's a two-part question here and then we'll let you run and, and we appreciate you coming on all season long um, how has that changed your job how does that change the recruiting process the current transfer portal the way it's currently set up and then the follow-up to it is how do you balance the we can get this great player in the transfer portal with what you were just talking about, man, the the ability to bring in, you know, athletes as freshmen and develop them in this system. Does that question make sense? Absolutely. And I think it's a question that everyone in, in college softball is asking. And everyone's – no one knows the answer because we've never had the availability of this many transfers. So at this point right now, there's a, there's a little over 1,000 kids on the transfer portal today. Uh, I think it was 993 that was on the portal on Friday. And by the end of the day, you'll be at 1,050. By the end, by this Friday, expect that portal to be around 1,200 kids. So you think about that. That's almost five kids per college team or four kids per college team. That's a lot of athletes on the portal. And, you know, those are kids looking for a place to go and, and, you know, some of them are going to be at a point here before long where they're not even looking for a scholarship. They're just wanting to walk on and try to help your program or help a program and get an opportunity from the program. So I think that, you know, I, my long-term plans when I took the job was to, to get to the 2021 class and and we'd use transfers to fill the voids in the, in a very weak recruiting classes of 18 and 19 and and 20 and and then once we got to 21 we could go back to normal routine and that's that's still my plan that's what i want to do i I still will use a transfer if it's an exceptional transfer i want to you know thoughts are like i I don't want a one-year transfer if i if if i take a transfer from this point forward i want to be sure we get at least two years out of that transfer. And I, I guess that if a Sierra Bryant came along in December, a kid that's a, you know going to be a preseason All-American, um, yeah, you know what? That, that'll that make your coach open his eyes and listen, perk sure. up and yeah. listen and consider that. But especially this year with, with so many freshmen coming in, we want to we really give those kids every opportunity to – to take control of our program and, and have them here for three or four years. And, and you know, I'm thrilled. Like Campbell from um, Texas A&M has got three years left. I think she'll be a fan favorite. She's, she's a very talented athlete. I was thrilled to get her where, you know, you, you, you know she's going to be here for three more seasons, and she's already got two years of experience. 
I think those are the type athletes and the type of uh, transfer that you you know you want to add or ideally, and then you want to add if you if you forgot a void in your program, uh, something you know you have a, a certain type of injury. But we've we've had great success with the transfers coming in, and you know we've been very fortunate. Nobody's benefited. Well, I'll say this: since I took the job, nobody lost more. You know, when when we lost DJ Sanders and Leah Creighton and Alyssa Denham, and I think there was 13, 14 players that left, and you know we lost a lot of talent in 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 that process of when the coaching staff changed, and 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 we also, you know, we benefited from it. We we picked up a lot of great players, Sarah Hudak and Caitlin Alderink and Alyssa Dalton and. You know, Rain O'Neal, those are all transfers that come in as transfers. So to say you'll never do that again would be absolutely foolish. But I think that we do want it to be um, – we we relied on it due to the coaching staff turnover at the extreme level both ways. We lost and we gained. And I think as we go now through the next four years with the stability that we have, we'll see a lot less, a lot, lot less, and we'll have see a lot more return to normal recruiting with a freshman class. Rage Cajun softball coach Jerry Glasgow has been our guest this morning. Jerry, I appreciate you coming on all season long. Um, look forward to doing it again next year, my friend. All the best. Enjoy the off season, and when you get some time, enjoy some hunting because I know you love to go and get some hunting in the off season. Yeah, we'll, we'll get a – We'll get through the recruiting season this summer, and I love to recruit. And uh, looking really forward after COVID year of missing recruiting, I'm looking forward to that. And then this fall, uh, I'll I'll be a, I'll get to spend a lot of time in the field. I promise. I, I won't neglect myself on that. There you go. Appreciate it, Jerry. All the best. Thank you. Appreciate you. Head coach Jerry Glasgow, Louisiana Raging Cajun Softball. We'll take a two-minute timeout when we come back. 8 o'clock hour of the Gray Scott Show 2 TTT Terrible Tune Tuesday. A look at the NCAA Regionals and more. Jay Walker in studio. It's ESPN 1420. Did he get to try any biscuits in Montgomery? No one else cares except me. I'm dying to find out. Don't go anywhere. Scott. The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion. With Scott Prather. Steal the show. On ESPN 1420 and ESPN1420.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome into the 8 o'clock hour of the Great Scott Show. We are in the month of June. Jay Walker is here in studio. Hi. So Top says you don't understand all of his movie references during broadcast. I understand very few of them. <laughs> as, as, as you know, I'm not a movie guy. Okay. Oh, man. But I know what Brad means when he's like, just no response. I, you know, just keep rolling along with it. Uh, welcome back from uh, from Montgomery. Did you get to try any biscuits? Very, very disappointed in the fact that at the ballpark, the biscuit kiosk was closed. 
But it, my guess is if – obviously, you know, baseball teams call the Montgomery Biscuits, so they they should have the kiosk open. But I'm guessing they're called that because are Biscuits, like, like famous in that area? Are they is, – is, like, the Montgomery area known for making great Biscuits? I have no idea. I think one could discern that. Yeah, that's what I discern. And so, but you didn't even, you know, you, you didn't like Google like best biscuits in Montgomery. Or you know, you know what? I stayed at the Embassy Suites. They got free breakfast, so I wasn't worried about biscuits. Although they had biscuits at the Embassy Suites. Yeah, but those taste the same at any Embassy Suites. I understand. Uh, how do you think Montgomery did first year hosting the Sun Belt Tournament? Well, they were great hosts from the standpoint of. People there were friendly. Um, Beautiful ballpark. Great ballpark. Uh, great gift shop, too. I mean, they got all kinds of stuff. And that and, and I, 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 had to, I had to get a couple things while I was there. Um, you know, the, the locals did not support the tournament. Understandable for the first year. Um, and understandable, you know, the, the, only, bad, the only bad thing, that, that I've got to say about all of it. Just like here in Acadiana and just about everywhere else, it's hard to get people to work in the service industry. And as a result, there were some restaurants that were not open. There were some restaurants that uh, had limited capacity and it had nothing to do with COVID. Uh, there were restaurants that, um, that if you were able to get in, it took you a long time to get, to get your food. Uh, that was disappointing because there are a lot of great restaurants in that area and some weren't open and some of them we just never could get into. Um, hopefully by next year, that'll be better, but the locals are going to have to support this tournament if it's going to uh, be successful because, you know, look, the, the Cajuns had some, had some folks there. Um, South Alabama, of course, just two and a half hours away, and they won the tournament. So they had a great crowd there on, on the, for the championship. Georgia Southern had some folks drive in on Sunday for the championship. When Troy was there, they had some people. But, you know, it's just like holding it anywhere else. If you're not the home team, nobody's showing up. Mm -hmm. So the locals are going to have to support it if it's going to be successful. How long does this contract run through again? I think it's five years. Yeah. I wouldn't hold my breath. No, I wouldn't either. Um, you know, I think that it was interesting because at every exit and I-65 and 85, when you got to Montgomery, it, it there was something there promoting the tournament. The signage that they had uh, in the downtown area and at the ballpark was great. I'm going to give the, the, the conference a lot of credit for that. But they need to do a better job, too. They need to do a better job of pre-promotion for the tournament. They need to do a better job of reaching the people of Montgomery and letting them know that this tournament is going on. Um, and they, um, they, they need to, I mean, they very quietly put tickets on sale. I mean, you know, they need to do a better job of promoting their product. 13 after the hour of 8 o'clock, ESPN 1420.com. Two six nine ten seventy seven two six nine one zero seven seven. If anyone wants to uh, get on the show this morning with Jay and I, you can uh, tweet the show as well at ESPN fourteen twenty. Want to get Jay's thoughts on NCAA regional pairings? Uh, LSU heading to Eugene 
thoughts on the Cajun baseball season. Plus, we got TTT coming up. So busy hour in store here for the next 46 minutes. Let's head to the phone lines right now. Good morning. Welcome into the show. Hello. Hey, um, I'm um, listening to your conversation. Montgomery, you're right. Uh, why, why did they pick Montgomery? Because um, when you look at the demographics um, and you look at the sport like baseball, it's just – uh, are we trying to? Are they trying to go like center the suburbs areas of uh, Montgomery? Like why? Why not Lafayette? Lafayette, you know. Well, for, well, first of all, first of all, they decided that it was time to move it to a neutral site. Okay, this is the first time that they've had the tournament at a neutral site since 1999. The reason that they chose Montgomery um, Central. is is because of the location. It, it's about in the middle uh, of where the league is. I think they would have loved to have done Pensacola, but the Blue Wahoos um, wouldn't block out the the days that they needed for the tournament. Uh, Montgomery was willing to do that. Montgomery's got a uh, obviously he's got a baseball history; otherwise, they wouldn't have a double A team there. So yes, I understand. But but the the Sorry. whole thing was they decided to move it to a neutral site, and it wound up in Montgomery. Why not Huntsville? Well, you know something? It's it's interesting that you bring that up because before the basketball tournament moved to Hot Springs about a decade ago, there was some talk about Huntsville hosting the basketball tournament. I don't think Huntsville got involved this time around as far as the interest was concerned, but it's interesting you brought it up because that is a location that the Sun Belt has looked at in the past. Yeah, but like you said, that's for another sport. Um, and you know, when you mentioned the double A, excuse me, the double A affiliate uh, Montgomery, I know uh, Huntsville had a double uh, double A team. But they relocated to Biloxi, and I and I know I think I always I think I asked Pop a while back, and um, and I think he told me a tournament was uh, canceled due to uh, due to the uh, pandemic. I think uh, Biloxi uh, MGM uh, Park would have made a nice yeah. spot, but I think uh, Conference USA, right? Yeah, Conference USA, Conference USA had been there the last few years, and because they opened up that brand-new ballpark in Ruston this year, they decided to move it to Ruston. I think it's going back to Biloxi next that, year. That's a great spot because if you get there, you've got a good ballpark, but you're going to see a baseball team, and you've got the beach. So And you've got casinos. You've got, got, it, all, casinos. You've got <laughs> it all built in, and that's the kind of site where it's like, we can't really get much better than and this. And I've, I've, uh, I've seen the ballpark in Biloxi from, uh, from my hotel at Beau Rivage, and uh, it's a Class A park, but it's a nice ballpark. Um, and I wouldn't have a problem uh, being in Biloxi if Conference USA decided they weren't going back there, but I think they're back there next year. Uh, one more question. I'm going to hang up, Scott. You can also answer it. Um, last time you took an Amtrak uh, across the country, and if you have it, I understand. Uh, thank you. Across the country? Last time I was on an Amtrak train was in 1991. And I've never been on an Amtrak. Uh, 1991, um, it was out west. But, yeah. Never been on one? No. Nope. I had some friends. I mean, that, I've, uh, I've ridden on a train, but not not Amtrak. Some friends of mine thought it'd be a good idea. They were a little older than me, but like for their senior trip after high school, they were going to take an Amtrak like to California or something. They said by the second day they regretted it. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> like, yeah, we thought this would be a good idea, but you know, being that it's going to take like six days, five and a half days, now we're kind of bored, and this is this is getting pretty old pretty quick.
18 after the hour of 8 o'clock. NCAA said LSU wasn't one of the last four in. Do you believe them? Yeah. I never had a doubt that LSU would get in, but Maneri announcing his retirement, did that help a little bit with anything? Well, you know, if you ask uh, the committee, they'll say no, but they might snicker under their breath when they do. Yeah, I think it helped. Um but I, but I think they were. I think they were in regardless. I, 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 I no, no. I, yeah, I, I just mean in terms of maybe I do too. In terms of where they sent them, like, do you feel like they were okay. doing LSU some favors? No. Because no, okay. because because look, how interesting is it that Louisiana Tech is hosting a regional? There are three other Louisiana schools playing, and mm-hmm. none of them are going to Ruston. I think LSU. I think the message they sent to LSU is. Look, you're getting in, but we're not going to put you at a place where your fans can dominate the ballpark. If your fans want to go see you play, they can go out west to see you play. So they were doing La Tech a favor. Um, hey, you're the one seed. You deserve to kind of have the the lay of the land, if you will. Well, you know, I, I don't know if they were doing favor La Tech a favor. might be the wrong word. I mean, maybe that, so I, they deserve it as the one. I, I, I think, you know, there was a – look, Mc, if McNeese was there, they weren't going to dominate – J.C. Love Field, okay? Correct. Southern was, but LSU would. And and so they said, no, we're, we're, we're not going to give you a home field advantage, you know, three hours away from, two hours away from Baton Rouge, whatever it is. And so they sent them out west. Boy, they had sent them to Ruston where La Tech is the number 19, excuse me, number 16 national seed. It, it There would have been a lot of purple and gold in Ruston. Yeah. I mean, and uh, and look, I, the Bulldogs—they got a balanced offense. They get to host. Hunter Wells is is awesome. Parker Bates is awesome. Do you like their chances of winning that thing? North Carolina State is one of the hottest teams in the country right now. Um, you know, a lot of times if you're the if you're the last host or the last of the um, sixteen seeded teams. They're going to give you a really strong two seed, and they've done that with North Carolina State. I think NC State is going to give Louisiana Tech everything they want and then some. And then they send Alabama there too, right? Yeah. Yeah. ESPN1420.com. Uh, all right, so back to the Tigers. Paul Maneri's farewell tour. Does it end Saturday? Does it end Sunday? Does it go beyond? Gonzaga's no, it's, a it's, good gonna, team. it's going to end this weekend. It's going to end this weekend. Or Oregon is good, but Gonzaga's really good. Gonzaga... I think is very close to being a one seed uh, here. I think they've got a really, really nice club. Now, Landon Marceau is going to go in, and they've got a chance to win that first game because he's really, really good. Uh, but no, I, 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 I would be, I would be very surprised if LSU would win that regional. ESPN fourteen twenty and dot com. Who is your favorite to win this whole shebang? Geez, that's a good question. You know. Arkansas is the number one seed for a reason. They've got everything you need to win a national championship. But you know what? There are there are three, four, five, six other teams that that conceivably could do it too. So you know, like I said, there's a reason Arkansas is the number one seed. Um, they're a very, very complete baseball team. South Alabama goes to Gainesville, Florida, the 15 national seed. You got Miami, South Florida, Florida, South Al. A lot of Florida flavor there. South Al's chances. 
Um, well, they're not going to beat Florida. Um, now, I saw Tyler Tudhill go down to Miami for Appalachian State and almost beat the Hurricanes. All right, so I, I think that Miami's a vulnerable number two seed. Um, but but South doesn't have – they don't have enough firepower, I don't think, to really challenge Florida. I think that's one of the easier regionals, to be honest with you. ESPN1420.com. Who's the four seed there? Uh, the four seed, uh, it is uh, South Florida. A team that, thanks to winning the tournament, is one game over 500. One. Not to be confused with Jacksonville, who by winning that tournament is still 10 games under 500. That yes. might have that might have been the biggest shocker of all the conference tournament was Jacksonville winning the Atlantic Sun. Yeah, now they go to what Old Dominion or uh, no um, uh, South Carolina with Old Dominion as the number one seed. Old Dominion's really good. So why aren't they hosting? They didn't bid, but they're the eleven national seed. South Carolina gets to host. Yep, and Virginia's there too. Virginia is there too. It's not going to be it's not going to be a walk in the park. Let me. I have I've been saying for years what a good baseball coach Chris Finwood is. And and he is showing he showed it at Western Kentucky. He's showing it again at old at Old Dominion. This guy's good. I remember hanging out with you and Chris Finwood in like oh seven or oh eight yeah. at the Sunbell Conference tournament that was at the Teague. And uh we were just there one night. You all wasn't playing, we we're just having some beer, and Finn was just in the stands and you just like walk up, start talking to him. He was like the like I didn't even know, like, if he hadn't been wearing a Western Kentucky yet, I would have had no idea he was the coach. He's like, hey, what's up, guys? Yeah. Just talking baseball. Oh, Finney was a great music. guy. Yeah. You know, there there were, some, there were some coaches, and still are, coaches in the league that are just great to sit and talk with. ESPN1420.com. Finney, uh, Finney always had a new lid for me every year, too. That's what it was. Yeah, you were, that's, he would bring, you were he'd bothering bring, him for hats. He'd bring me a hat. That's right. I, I have yet to get my old Dominion hat. He's been there a while now. It's time for, uh, time for him to cough it up. All right. We're going to uh, get Jay's thoughts on the Cajun baseball season uh, in the final segment. Before we get ready for TTT, this day in sports history, we are talking briefly about minor league baseball. 14 years ago today, maybe the best tirade from a baseball manager ever. You remember the guy for the AA Mississippi Braves, and he basically – reenacted like a military throwing like a grenade toss yep. with the with the <laughs> he's pulling up bases all over the place. He went on for like four minutes. Uh-huh. It is uh I don't know whatever happened to that guy, but you know what? Today's your day, buddy. That's what I'm saying. Don't go anywhere. Up next is terrible. Tune Tuesday on ESPN fourteen twenty and dot com. The following businesses proudly For those of you listening on the podcast, on demand, Terrible Tune Tuesday segment cannot air on the podcast or on demand. So if you want to hear Jay and I's terrible choices each Tuesday, you need to listen live. In the meantime, here's the rest of the hour with Jay Walker. And open Scott Prather, Jay Walker coming at you on a Tuesday. Rage Cajun baseball season uh, ended on Saturday in a 3-2 loss to Georgia Southern. Talked quite a bit about that uh, in the eight, uh, 7 o'clock hour and uh, by myself and then with Top a little bit. What were your thoughts on on Saturday's game and the season as a whole, Jay? Well, after after the game, 
Coach Deggs said that he thought that game was the microcosm of the entire season. He's absolutely right. The biggest issue this team had was the failure to get the key hit with two outs all year long. When you play 55, 60 games, you should have 125 or so two-out RBI. I think the Cajuns had 80. Um, Georgia Southern, who beat the Cajuns, had, I think, 106. South Alabama was as good as any with two-out RBI. That's why That's why they won the tournament. Um, so I, I think he was absolutely right. And I made the comment during the game, you know, I said, there's nothing to second-guess here. And then, of course, we found something to second-guess, and that was the, the play at first base and should they have sent Lede. And it's real easy on your ass watching television to, to see what happens. If, you're, if you've got an angle from third base, it's not quite as easy. And honestly, where, where, where we were, I didn't pick up right away that the ball had gotten away, and I'm sure that they didn't pick it up at third base either. I'm of the opinion if they send him, he's out. Because by the time they, they realized that the ball had gotten loose, it was uh, he wasn't going to make it. So I'm not going to second-guess the decision not to send him, although a lot of people are. But guess what? If they'd have sent him and he got thrown out, everybody would be second-guessing that too because it's what, it's what fans do. You surprised they didn't bunt Carson in that, in that situation? Um, no. I, I think that um, you know the failure to get the bunt down earlier was a big, was a big play. Um, and, you know, I know Matt – and he has said it before, he doesn't like to bunt a tie. And when they bunted earlier, when they failed to get down the bunt, they were getting runners to second and third where a base hit was going to win the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, uh, yeah. How different is this team going to look next year, Ross? Very, very. And, and the reason I say that is you've got a lot of factors this time around. First of all, your roster is not going to be as big. You're going back to 35 next year. You got an expanded roster because of COVID and players getting an extra year of eligibility. So you've got to um you got to pare that roster down to start with. You only had four seniors, but you've got three, maybe four guys who could get drafted in the 20 rounds of the draft. You also had eight guys who weren't seniors that have graduated. You know, do they come back? Do they go as a grad transfer, which a lot of players do nowadays? Or do they just say, okay, I've got my degree. It's time for me to you know, to go get a job and get out in the real world. And then on top of that, you know, you've signed. I don't know what the number is. I want to say about 15. And so, yeah, this roster is going to look very different next year. Um And at the same time, you're going to have a lot of holdovers. The other interesting thing this year, Scott, with the draft, because everybody got an extra year, you're talking about draft-eligible sophomores now. So they could get drafted and say, you know what, I could go back, play another year, and still have bargaining power next year and maybe increase my draft status. That could play a part in all of this, too. There's a lot of a lot of movable parts here, uh, and you know I I don't know how it's going to shake out. I mean I you know I have opinions as to 
you know, who I think is going to come back, who I think is not going to come back, and who I think will be asked back and who won't be asked back. Give me, give me a guy no. you think will be back. No. No. We'll be back. No. Nothing? Nope. Not going to do it. So if there's going to be a large turnover, as you suspect, and we hear a lot about the process of this Okay, I'll system. give you one. Okay. Brandon Talley. Okay. So we hear a lot about, thank you, so we hear a lot about guys that, big turnover. And then Deggs has said it to me in the mornings. You guys have mentioned on the broadcast, giving guys the green light to steal when they want, all the other things that are incorporated into this offense and that it takes a few years. Does the process slow down when you have a big turnover? Or does it speed up? Because, well, we got some guys in, but a little quicker. I don't know the answer to it, but it, I think it's worth asking. I, I think a lot of that is going to have to do with the personalities that are coming in. You know, I, I'll tell you what I think this team was missing. It was they, they, There weren't enough alpha males in this team. Uh, and, and I think that Matt understands that. And and so I, I think he's he's got he's to have more of those guys um, on his ball club next year. It's going to, um, it's going to be interesting, but, but I will say this, the two out RBI thing, let's go back to that for just a minute. Let's suppose they had an average amount of two out RBI, 115, let's say. Do you realize we're probably talking about a 40 win team mm-hmm. very close to yeah. it? But they were what? 80 something? 84. Yeah. I mean, they fix that. Fix that. ESPN 14. I think it was 84 going into the tournament. Um, NBA playoffs happening. A lot of headlines of fans acting a fool. Don't do that. Don't don't cross the line. Also, can we have a separate discussion that when a player like stomps on a logo, like they're trying to get a rise? Not excusing the reaction. What is it about like stomping on a logo or some things in baseball? Like you said, you kind of know when you see it. The player's trying to tick everyone on the other team off or whatever. What is it about, like, stomping on a logo in sports to just stop people so Staring in a dugout, you know, uh, taking 20 minutes to round the bases after a home run. Like, don't get, don't be like fans shouldn't get upset about that. Yes, they should. Now, they shouldn't cross any lines. Sure. But, like, of course they're going to get upset about it. That's what, that it, it means something to fans. You can't say it shouldn't mean anything. It does. And if you're saying that, then you've never been a fan of a team. You do, there's certain things. It's why years ago when T.O. did the thing in the star, the Cowboys went and tackled them. Now, fans should not get themselves involved. They, they, they shouldn't say, I got to do something about it. No, boo like crazy, make a sign, whatever. But the other teams, if they're upset about it, they're the ones that need to do something about it, right? Yes. I agree. A hard foul, pitch inside, not near the head. You know something. Yeah. And not, a little animosity in sports. 95 in the left buttock. Is a good deal. <laughs> oh, man. God, how, how, how tough is Kevin? The, the, my boy with the Mets took a 96-mile-hour fastball to the face two weeks ago. He was back on the diamond last night. That's pretty impressive. None of us could do that. I'm just saying. Uh, look, I took... I don't know how – I took a, a line drive in batting practice that was probably 95 or so, right in the left kidney. Thought I was going to die. I believe it. Don't go anywhere. Steve Pelliquin is next with Beyond the Game. Jay, thanks for coming by, brother. Appreciate it, man. CSPN1420 and .com.